as you know, we teach very clearly in this church that if you are truly regenerated, if you have been born again, if you have become a Christian, not that you've just prayed a sinner's prayer because it's quite possible to pray a sinner's prayer and not necessarily uh, have, I prayed a sinner's prayer two years before I got converted. My motivations were quite mixed. I figured if I do this, you know, my parents will get off my back. But uh, <laughs> I wasn't exactly seeking God. I was, uh, you know, trying to uh, parlay so I could be, uh, live my wickedness a little bit deeper without being observed. And, uh, but in any case, uh, when you really are regenerated, you become a new creation. You start to have new motivations, new attitudes. You don't always live the perfect, mature, mature, sanctified version of your life in Christ, but you do receive a hunger and thirst for righteousness at conversion. And you'd, you'd receive a desire to know God, to please God. Uh, you have forgiveness of sins and so forth. Now, at that time, you have received the Holy Spirit because you cannot be in fellowship with God. You cannot be born again. What it means to be born again is that your spirit before that happened was dead. That is not that it didn't exist, but that it was outside of the active power, joy, and presence of God. I talked to many people that we're working with, especially that are kind of at the beginning. And I often ask, are you experiencing the power of God in your life? Are you sensing the presence of God every day and so forth? And if that's not happening, I have cause to worry. And you should have cause to worry, <laughs> more importantly. And uh, um, I often talk uh, to to Christians that are sort of at the threshold and beginning of things who may have had one encounter with the presence of the Holy Spirit, but it's not a regular thing in their life. And I just want to say, God didn't come so you could go to church, occupy a pew. He came to give you new life in Christ Jesus that involves being, knowing him in his church and serving in his church, but it primarily is he wants to know you and you to know him. And he wants to have spiritual fellowship with you. God is a spirit, and you can't just know him in the abstract. And that's kind of the curse of a modern Christianity, especially in the West, since we've become more and more, after the Enlightenment, more and more theoretical and more and more full of doubt and unbelief and more and more empirical and pseudo-rational and so forth. There's this kind of theoretically, doctrinally, We've got the orthodox doctrines, but we don't have the orthodox orthopraxy experience. And God wants you to experience his, his spirit and his presence and his power. And that begins at regeneration. And therefore, even a Christian who's not been baptized in the spirit should be able through Bible study, through prayer, through uh, what's called solitude, through seeking God in the various spiritual disciplines, have a regular experience of God's presence that's concrete, real, tangible, and you know that you know that you know that you had fellowship with God. One of the terrible things of, of modern times is the idea of a quiet time, which kind of 
spun out of the whole Christian discipline of solitude, which is a good thing, has been reduced to, you hear people say, well, if you just spend five minutes a day reading a devotional or something, and I always say devotionettes make raisinettes, you need to encounter God every day by the power of his spirit in such a way that you receive newness of life from the throne room of God, and that he changes your attitudes and your motivations and your expectations. If you're the, essentially the same person, that's uh, not God's not mad at you about it, he, but he certainly has more for you. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, if your kid's not willing to open his Christmas presents, I I guess that's okay, but you'd really would like you got the Christmas presents so he could open them and enjoy them. And so uh, let's make it clear that we understand that when you're regenerated, when you're truly born again, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will know the Lord. However, as we're going to see in the scripture readings at the second meeting, the clear language of scripture is that there is a second reception of the Holy Spirit called being baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's very clear if you study it thoroughly enough. Paul says in Acts 19 too, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed to some people he thought were Christians? So in some sense, that must be possible. It says in Acts 8, verse 14, 16 area, that, at, that when that they sent Peter and John to Samaria, that they might pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And the blind were seen, the lame were walking, and there was much rejoicing in the city. They were born again. But they had not received the Holy Spirit in, in, in a, some real and tangible particular sense that I want to talk about. So it is quite clear that uh, receiving the Holy Spirit, the Greek word lambano, uh, appears 254 times in the New Testament. It's a, it's a big word, and I count uh, there's only one not book, Jude, other than five or six of Paul's books that it doesn't appear in. So Matthew, you know, when thinking of biblical theology, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, every writer of the New Testament uses lambano regularly. Even Paul uses it. Just uh, doesn't in some of his smaller epistles, but um, and Jude doesn't, but it's a short epistle. So, um, so let's uh, you know I'm not going to uh, defend or go into what we teach and why. If you don't understand that being baptized in the Holy Spirit is clearly uh, a second experience that's available in in God's blessing in God's favor for every Christian. We are more than glad to take you through a series of four Bible studies that we'll be expanding to six soon. So you might as well get in on it while there's still four. No, uh, <laughs> this summer we'll be expanding that to six Bible studies. But uh, So you might as well get in while you still can on the shorter version. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll be glad to take you through these Bible studies and help you see clearly. I have never had even pastors who went to seminary I sat right here for six months having a, a Bible study with a Methodist pastor who said, I really got turned off to Pentecostals and people who speak in tongues and so forth. However, uh, I'm doing all this inner city ministry and all these people, we, we keep seeing these drug addicts come to Christ powerfully and walk with God two years and then fall back into drugs. And 
And I'm just, you know, some guys have told me about speaking in tongues and the baptism in the Spirit and others about casting out demons, and they told me, go see Greg Weiss. You can, he can teach you about this stuff. So we went through that, these teachings together. And when we got to Acts 8, and when he saw, for the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says they sent Peter and John so they might receive Lombano, the Holy Spirit. He was like, wow, bam, I get it. There's no possibility that these are, they wouldn't have baptized them if they weren't converted. Right? So clearly there is a second encounter with the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells the disciples in Acts 1, who had already seen him resurrected. He breathed on them in John 20, verse 22, and said, receive the Holy Spirit and breathe on them. Something must have happened there. And he tells them to wait in Jerusalem, for you shall receive the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And the best I can liken it to, to is if, you know, if I take my good friend Sam Jen Poon and I give him five $20 bills, he'd probably be willing to receive them. Pretty sure he would. <laughs> and then if I said, just seek the Lord because I'm coming back with five $100 bills, he'd be like, okay. <laughs> Not, you know, and uh, he might say, does that mean I have to give the five 20s back? No, you don't. <laughs> you have to keep them. <laughs> so, uh, it's like not like let's make a deal. You got to turn in the five twenties for a chance at the third curtain. But uh, so let's just be clear about that. And so for those of us who understand that and who want to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, what I really want to focus on today is if you know in chapter four, called imparting and receiving the baptism in the Spirit of the four st studies point. Number Roman numeral 2B is called Five Common Hindrances to Receiving the Holy Spirit. And I want to speak about all of that at the first meeting. At the second meeting, we're going to talk about how everyone needs to receive Pentecost, and we're going to start it by Beth speaking for about 10 minutes on uh, her own personal journey into receiving Pentecost and what's happened in her life as she's continued to be filled with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit because she received the Holy Spirit, but then she received the Holy Spirit, and then she received the Holy Spirit. I figure that one out. <laughs> so, so and if Sam, if I say, can you receive another five $100 bills? He goes, I'm available. <laughs> so uh, there are many fillings of the Holy Spirit, and hopefully we're going to clarify some of that as we go today. Let's get into this. The first thing I want to say in terms of overcoming being, you know, being having hindrances and being baptized in the Spirit, this is getting to be much more common. Up until um, two or three years ago, I had only prayed for one person in 40 years that we took some through some teachings on, the, on being baptized in the Holy Spirit that did not get baptized in the Holy Spirit with a prayer language and totally zapped by God that first time we prayed for him. I've, uh, in the recent years, we've had more and more situations where uh, in the cases of people that we are praying for one person, we'll talk about this in the second meeting, we were able to kind of stop and diagnose these five things and get them through them. In the cases where we had two or more, sometimes it just, and frankly, there's just competing 
reasons why people are having trouble breaking through, and sometimes I, I'm not even going to pray for two people at a time anymore, to be honest. But um, these, these hindrances to getting baptized in the Spirit are becoming much more common. You need to diagnose them if you're a person who serves and helps and teaches and equips and empowers other people. And if you want to be empowered so that you can serve, equip, and empower, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to diagnose these in yourself. And my first point is this. You are your own best doctor. That's true in the natural and the spiritual. I can give you Bible studies. I can teach you. What I try to do uh, at 9.30s every, and at two, on Tuesday nights as well uh, is I try to give you the tools to go study the Word of God for yourself so you'll get 10 times more out of it. Because there's no way in 45 minutes every Sunday I can teach you one-tenth of what you need to know. I might be able to give you the tools that you need to go get what you need to know. Now, that's important. And I, and I want you to, I want to talk about that for a minute. You need to overcome the let the professionals do it mentality that has entered our culture. Now, in recent cultural historical roots, that really began to be prevalent in the 1950s with Dr. Spock and certain television shows like Dr. Kildare and Marcus Welby and, and the whole movements in education that eventually led to greater public education and taking school prayer and all this. But there became a, we know, what, we know how to brainwash your kids, let us do it mentality. Trust the professionals. The psychologists and the psychiatrists, they know what they're doing. The educators, we know what we're doing. The doctors know what we're talking about. You're not qualified. And lots of people bought into that, and that has continued to snowball for 60-some years. Most of you don't know a time and don't even, have never even known enough about history or philosophy to step back and go, wait a minute. I don't know if I should just believe what the educators and the government and the, and the medical people are saying. Maybe I should learn to think on the paradigm level so I can know enough to question it. Okay? So, in terms of ontological roots, in, that, in other words, where is this in the heart of man? It's rooted in two of the most predominant attributes of our sin nature. The first one is we all want to avoid self-government and we're born immature and we get mature as we get older and part of what immaturity is is it's a child's job to waste time that's their job to play and sometimes in order to love on them and bond with them and so forth your job is to play with them but in age-appropriate ways your job is to is to remove the play and teach them to, to enjoy their work and rejoy, enjoy responsibility first for their own lives and then for others. An adult is just someone who's motivated by responsibility for others. And some people have that when they're teenagers and some people don't have that when they're 45 in our culture anymore. So, every sinful man is revolting against growing up. They want to avoid jobs. They want to spend hours on Facebook. They want to spend hours on video games. They want to be frivolous. They want to flunk out of school. 
They want to not be responsible. That's what fallen men love to do. And so they love the, the professional people know what they're talking about mentality because it takes, the, it takes it off of me. The problem is there's a fallacy in logic that's called basically an appeal to the masses. Just because the majority of people in, in 1952, I believe it was, the majority of Supreme Court justices of, the, of America said that black people are three-fifths of a person. Now, just because they were in the majority, were they right? But they were the professionals. They, were the, they wore robes like high priests. There's a reason they wear robes, because they're trying to say, we're the priesthood of the state religion. And we want you to worship us. So, selfish, sinful men, the second reason is that sinful men have the desire and selfish ambition to manipulate, control, and dominate others. Real leadership empowers and releases and challenges you to take responsibility for yourself. Now, what I'm saying is, if you have these hindrances to the baptism in the Spirit, diagnose them yourself and, and overcome them. Now, one of your tools, besides researching the Scriptures, can be getting advice from people who've gone there. If a blind man falls into a blind man, they both fall in a pit. So if somebody sees, there are lots of people in our church, I, that's why any of you who've done these studies with me, I'll give you a list. Go talk to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so about their breakthrough with the Holy Spirit and how much it changed their life. And you should do that as part of your research so that you don't underestimate how important that kind of Pentecostal ex experience can be for you. Talk, that's why I'm going to have Beth share Talk to Stephen Leopold about how his encounter with the Holy Spirit changed him in one night. As he got delivered from demons, released from unforgiveness and bitterness, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and became a completely different person almost overnight. Many of you watched that happen. So, uh, especially this idea that the professionals know is especially entrenched in three American institutions, governments, schools, and medical professions. And frankly, it's a big part of the megachurch movement. If you read the book, the, the, When the Church Was a Family, in the chapter uh, 9 on, on cautions about spiritual leadership, they have a whole great section on the celebrity pastor, and it's this kind of, oh, well, I can't really live the Christian life, but I listen to this guy who's radical, and I vicariously live my Christian life through his be, talking radical and being radical. Holy crap. All right, so next step, get some counsel. I guess I've touched on this already. GCF pastors and GCF members who have really have, have broken through these things. Because we're all trying to help each other. It's kind of like, you know, Harriet Tubman, my, uh, who's going to be on, what is it, the 10 or the 20? 
the 20. Finally, to get rid of that Andrew Jackson. All the presidents of the United States from a Christian perspective have been bad, but he's in the top five to seven worst. So might as well get a Christian lady who, who deserves to be on there. Uh, so in any case, uh, you know, as a Christian lady, after God, Christ set her free, both physically and literally, she went back and set others free. So take advantage it's not, we're not trying to say anybody's, we're all brothers and sisters, we're all made of the same cloth. Nobody's better than anyone else, but just by the grace of God, some people have gone further. Get a hold of someone who's gone further, especially with regard to this, and say, give me some guidance. However, what you need to understand about seeking counsel is always it's your responsibility. The decision to proceed is yours. I love there's a scene in that movie Airplane, which many of us watched on a Friday night not that long ago, and uh, it's got some objectionable parts. Don't watch it with your kids. Uh, but there's one scene in particular where, is it Rod, what's the guy's name in real life? The guy who's playing Captain Stryker, Robert Stack. Uh, he's like doing all these flashbacks with the, with the pilot who had the, that was in the plane that had crashed the plane and he now had to land it and he, he was like, I got a drinking problem and he pours the water in his eye. <laughs> you know, his drinking problem is he can't hit his mouth. <laughs> you know? And uh, anyway, it's a comedy movie. But he keeps flashing back when he, when he was on this mission and he crashed the plane. And over every flashback, he hears this voice going, the decision to proceed is yours. It's Robert Stack's voice who was the commander. The decision to proceed is yours. The decision to, I love that. Because every bit of walking with God, the decision to proceed is yours. Now, you know, let me just tell you this. If you uh, struggle with weight or blood sugar or anything like that, and you just, if you just study the American diet, God help you. You know, I was, I, diabetes runs in my family. I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes over 20 years ago, and I still don't have to take medications for it and insulin and so forth because I control it by knowing enough about glycemic foods. And if I just did what the doctors wanted, I'd be on 30 drugs by now and probably have had my toes amputated. Take, you know, responsibility, study, become an expert at everything. Now, you can prepare plans by consultation, make war by wise guidance, but Psalm 1 says, blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but the light in the law of the Lord. And, and David in Psalm 119, talks, talking about the scripture, it says that the scripture has become the men of my counsel. The scripture should be your first counselor. And people who have maturity and wisdom and knowledge in Scripture should be another counselor. But the decision to proceed is yours. So diagnose what the problem is, make a plan, work the plan, adjust it as needed, and escalate to victory. I love the, what I call the Elliot Ness principle. In the movie The Untouchables, Elliot Ness, played by Kevin Costner, is this nice federal treasure agent, and he thinks he's going to take down Al Capone, but he thinks he can bring a squirt gun to put out a fire. 
And that's how most Christians are living. You know, so there's a the particular scene where Sean Connery, who plays the Irish cop, you know, grabs him and says, what are you prepared to do? You think you're going to take this guy down by being a mealy mouse knight, meandering into it, not relating to anything outside your own experience and so forth? You, if he's going to bring a knife, you've got to bring a gun. You know, I love that scene in Crocodile Dundee all my principals from movies today used to do that a lot where they where he's being held up on the streets in new york city and the lady that's with him is all freaked out because the guy's got a knife and and he goes she goes he he goes nah and she goes no he's got a knife do what he says he goes that's not a knife and then he pulls out his knife he goes that's a knife <laughs> then the kids run drop their knife and run off and he goes just kids having fun <laughs> so, you know uh, you know, you gotta, you got to, you gotta be in it to win it. I mean, don't, don't walk with God by someone else's experience. Go get your own, and don't stay in the same place tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Make a plan, work the plan, take the next step. Now. Um, I don't have time to review our Baptizing Holy Spirit series. You can see the four that are there. The only thing I want to tell you is that in the first two, the person, ministry, and activities of the Holy Spirit, what I really am trying to emphasize more and more that's probably not on the podcast that are on our websites about it, and some of you went through it with me a long time ago. I maybe didn't emphasize this as much as I have been in recent months, and that's simply this. We see the Holy Spirit doing all these great things all through the Old Testament. Elijah rose the widow's son from the dead, right, etc. Moses parts the Red Sea, Elisha, and so forth. However, John 7, 37 through 39, when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, in verse 39, uh, it says, But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What? So all, but it specifically says Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and turned into another man. So the only possible interpretation of the scripture is this, that the Holy Spirit was given in the Old Testament. He was certainly given without measure, it talks about, in the life of Christ. But what God had in mind at Pentecost was something better than that. So if you're living in expectations of a Christianity that we're not experiencing the Holy Spirit, something more powerful than what happens in the gospel, you're on the wrong page. You're yet blind to the major message of Scripture because the whole promise of the New Testament repeated over 20 times is a new heart, a new covenant. They'll all know me, and I'll put my spirit in all of them, and they'll all prophesy. And a kind of Christianity that doesn't have power is not worth it. It's actually... I don't want to go so far as to say it's a heresy. It's blind and lost. It's, mil, it's malinformed. Now, I love lots of wonderful Christians who have a little squirt gun full of, of Holy Spirit activity in their life, including the ones in our church. But I'd rather you had a fire hose. 
and I'd rather you had a river, and I'd rather you had something like Niagara Falls hitting you. And I'd rather have to explain to people, well, they're not really drunk like you think. <laughs> Sometimes I have to have to have had to explain, unfortunately, that they were drunk like you think. <laughs> But uh, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Okay, so uh, so that's all I really want. Like, you can get into. We can take you through the four studies. You can listen to them on podcast. You'll get more out of them if you both listen to them on podcast and have somebody take you through the outlines. And the more anointed the person is, the more they're going to be good at taking you through the outlines. And the more they understand the scriptures on it. So let's get into this in the remaining time. Oh, John's not here today. <laughs> I'm going to just... <laughs> Where's Jason? <laughs> oh, he's back. Darn it. I'll, g- I'll give you $20 to kidnap Jason right now. <laughs> All right. All right. Be like the pastor who, who uh, used to stop his message every week. He'd put a lifesaver in his mouth, and when it was finally dissolved, he'd quit preaching. And one week, he put a button in there and spoke for six hours before he realized it wasn't a lifesaver. That's what I'm going to do at the second meeting today. Uh, <laughs> might as well just be here at six because I'll just preach right through. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right, come on, let's move on. We got to get this. Five common hindrances to being baptized in the spirit. The first thing I want to say is these are door issues. Getting baptized in the Spirit is not the deeper life. The whole biblical model is it's there is nobody in the New Testament, there's no examples of someone who got baptized in the Spirit longer than 10 days after they were born again. Now, it takes longer today. I always say I'm okay with that to a certain degree because we're not going to pioneer back to biblical Christianity in three hops and a jump. I've been chasing this 40 years. 42 years to be exact. First dawned at me when I was 17 years old on my 40th time through the book of Acts in a three-month period and 10 times through the New Testament and I read the whole Testament. My first four months of being a Christian, I couldn't get enough scripture. 10 hours a day, I was so excited. And I just began to say, why? Because of my parents' context, I got to visit a different church every night. And I said, why are all these churches like this when the Bible's like this? What explains the difference? It's, I could see already it was huge. If I'd have known how huge, I would have turned back. <laughs> the Lord has a way of suckering you into these things. <laughs> it's too late to turn back now. <laughs> All right, so, uh, mo- a lot of you understand that one. <laughs> okay, so these are door issues. This is, this is something you're supposed to happen at the beginning. Now, let's go through the five. Hopefully, I can touch on at least each one. The first one is incomplete conversions. Use a tool that we call here the five vital signs of life to diagnose where you're really at spiritually. If you don't have all five of those vital signs of life going, you should be alarmed. The problem is that we we live in the most passive time of human history, And everybody has been seduced into this deep slumber and sleep 
That's why the Bible yells out, wake, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Because people are dead. They need to hear, Lazarus, come forth. And until you hear the voice of the Son of God awakening you, you'll just, you can hear these messages week after week after week, and it just it bounces off you like throwing rocks at concrete. But we're living in a time when lots of people who grew up in the church are not really converted. And I can't teach a lot on it right now, but we have lots of teachings on it, and we have a leadership team of 13 people, most of whom have studied enough to walk you through how to diagnose that. And if you uh, take our theology class, Wayne Grudem actually has a section in the whole major section called the Doctors of Salv- Doctrines of Salvation. There's a chapter on the effectual calling of the gospel and one on the new birth and one on conversion. Then he has a section on true and false conversion, and he lists two inward signs of being truly converted and five outward signs. And uh, to my surprise, when I read that a few years back, I was like, wow. That's what we've been teaching since the 70s is what we call the five vital signs of life. They were exactly the same ones. Why? That shouldn't surprise you because he reads the same Bible we do, right? But the Bible says to make certain, Peter says, of his calling and choosing you. There's this whole, the reason there's so much emphasis in evangelical churches about eternal security and giving people assurances of salvation is because of the message we're preaching and the life we're living. Because once you're truly converted, you'll never need to be assured again. You'll know that you know that you know because you'll be able to say with Paul, I know him whom I have believed. And I'm confident that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted him till him this day. I know that I'm going to walk this thing all the way through to heaven because I totally know that if God took his grace off me, I would deny him and run from him and become an unbeliever in a, in a millisecond. And so it's going to be his persevering, sustaining grace because he's not a fickle God. He entered into covenant and that, that he, faithful as he has called you and he will also bring it to pass. And there's where my total trust lies, not in what a fine Christian I am. <laughs> if any of you knew, <laughs> you get another church. But... uh Satan's fattest pastor. <laughs> no flesh here. <laughs> I'm eating a little too much flesh. But um, John 14, 17 says, The Spirit whom the world cannot receive. Right? You receive the Spirit when you're transferred from the world. As Colossians 1, 13 says, He transferred us out of the domain, a kingdom word, of darkness, and into the kingdom of his beloved son. When he did that, you received the Holy Spirit, and you received the Holy Spirit in a greater way, different way. I don't know that you receive, it's the same Holy Spirit you receive, and he's a person, so some people liken it to a greater release of his presence and power. That's how Dennis Bennett used to think of it. Now, uh, The first thing you need to understand, though, is the world can't receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. See that wording? But you know him. Now, in John 3, 3, he says, unless you're born again, you cannot see 
That is perceive the kingdom of God. If you're not really born again, you don't perceive him. You could be an agnostic or not know if you believe in God or whatever. If you, you just don't know that if you know or not. Because you're lost still. But when you're born a second time out of water the first time, when, you know, when the water breaks and the baby comes out, I got to hear all these stories of that. Men really love that when the women start reading, talking about their birthing experiences. <laughs> you know, men can't bear children, but you can put the punctuation where you're going. <laughs> no, I can't bear birthing stories. But, uh, but you come out of water, and the second time you develop in an atmosphere or a sack of the Holy Spirit. That's why it does help to keep people in Bible studies and church and so forth, but they have to be born again. We have a time where we have lots of biblically incomplete conversions. I can't give any more time to that. The Charlie Brown syndrome, remember when Charlie Brown went trick-or-treating and, uh, you know, Lucy and Linus, they were like, I got good and plenties. I got almond joy. And then Charlie Brown goes, I got a rock. <laughs> you know, the first night I heard about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, I actually didn't go forward at the altar call. Now, I knew about it from my parents. The first time I ever went to a church that spoke on it, it was July 1974. And uh, a guy named Moses Vey, who I came to know later, know his nephew very well. Um, he's, you know, speaking on the Holy Spirit. But I had the Charlie Brown syndrome because I didn't understand grace yet. I was brought up in a performance Christianity. And I thought, I'm being convicted by the Holy Spirit to quit doing drugs all the time. You know, and, I, and I'm living a totally profligate life. I'm dealing drugs, doing drugs. I'm, I'm a bad dude, and I, why would God give me his Holy Spirit? Yet the truth is, I had already been born again, and I'd already in my heart decided I was going to follow Jesus. I was under conviction. I hadn't been set free from my drugs yet, but I was reading the Bible and fellowshipping with Christians. And uh, so on the way home that night, I said, do you think God would baptize someone as evil as me with the Holy Spirit, with all the wicked stuff I've done? He said, if you truly wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he would. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in my dorm room that night, knowing almost nothing about it. I was still halfway through the New Testament on my first time through. Now, here's what you need to understand. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone. There are no exceptions. You are Everyone. You're someone, you're, you're, you know, part of the spiritual warfare we go through is to think the everyone and the each one and the anyone verses don't apply to us. Because maybe we were hatched or something. I don't know why, why we think that, but it's part of our spiritual warfare. And the reason he does it is because he gives good gifts to his children, not because you earn it. None of the things of grace are earned. They do have to be unwrapped, and you may have an unwrapping issue, but you don't have an earning it issue. Your heavenly father, the real issue is, is he your heavenly father? If you're born again, you, I, you need to really focus on switching to a gray space. I work with people on this all the time. There's so much insecurity and rejection and broken families and all kinds of things in our culture that it's hard for people to believe he loves you based on what Christ did for you and his choice of you, and that's it. And guess what? When you mess up, the little ones and the big ones, 
it doesn't abort his plan. He has come to save you, Zephaniah 3. And he will rejoice over you with joy. And he is a victorious warrior of salvation. And he is going to win. And he's going to accomplish everything that was ordained for you, including the fullness of your salvation. And every gift of God is for free, and you never can earn it. And 10 minutes after you punched your roommate in the nose and looked at pornography and stole that car and, <laughs> and asked God to forgive you, he, you know, he still loves you. Now, he might chastise you, and you might, there might be some, because uh, he disciplines us that we might share in his holiness. Not that he can condemn us, though. That's not his purpose. I wish, John, if I, if I have any wish before I die, besides planning all these churches and things I want to accomplish, it would be that everyone would understand why John 3.17 is the much more important verse than John 3.16. Then there would be at football games, people would be holding up John 3.17. <laughs> For he didn't come to condemn the world, but in, but in order that the world might be saved, because you were already condemned. If he wanted to lay some condemnation on you, he wouldn't have started the process. And we all struggle with, Beth's going to talk about this, I don't want to steal her thunder, but we all struggle with this, like, after I sin, I've got to grovel enough for, you know, three weeks until I convince God that I'm really serious this time, and you're not. <laughs> you know, when I finally got delivered with drugs, is when I finally came to the realization, is I said, God, not only can I not quit this stuff, I can't even want to quit this stuff. I love this stuff. It's my whole life. I've been actually, like all addicts, part of the griefing process is called bargaining. I used to, like, God, if I give up marijuana now, could I have a giant mountain of it in heaven? <laughs> oh my! <laughs> when you're an addict, you're messed up. <laughs> and, uh, and then I would think, oh my gosh, heaven is eternal. So no matter how big the mountain is and no matter how much i conserve it someday i'm gonna run out <laughs> holy and you know what god still loved me even though i wasn't even anywhere near the planet earth <laughs> ah i'm going on <laughs> this is good stuff so the Charlie Brown syndrome, you got, you got to get delivered from it. You really go to God and say constantly. It, it took, I was brought up Catholic. I can feel guilty about anything. There are certain expressions, fundamentalists and Catholics and certain expressions of Christianity today are very performance-based. And I had a controlling kind of environment. And man, I knew how to feel bad. You know, I was condemned all the time. You know, I had, you know, I, I thought God had all these red marks for good behavior and black marks for bad behavior, and my mind had just become this giant Rorschach ink block of black, and and I just figured, by the time I was in third grade, I figured it was hopeless. You know what? If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit because you're his son or daughter. 
because you asked. And you're never going to be more qualified than you are with that. Never. Thirdly, occult or false religious involvement. Now, I've been toying with a somewhat dangerous, cautious idea, but it's, it seems to be true that in our current day, some, some cessationists and some unbelieving forms of Christianity, especially hyper-dispensational and, and so forth kinds of forms, have be, and, and there's some other, there's several, you know, when you draw kind of a circle and you call it orthodoxy and you use the, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed and the symbol of Chalcedon and the Athanasian, you know, the Athanasian Creed it's called, but it wasn't written by Athanasius. Maybe if those are the boundaries, we are progressively having more and more kinds of pseudo-Christian groups that have one foot in and one foot out. They're not really a cult, but they're not really, they've got some mixed spirits involved. And I, I make the argument that there's probably more demons in the church today than there are in the world sometimes. I hope that's not true. But I think what happens is when you start moving toward Christ, uh, Satan takes you more seriously. In any case, uh, I actually think there are some times when even the kind of Christianity you came out of may be really holding you back. And sometimes staying in fellowship with those people and all that may be holding you back. You may need to walk away from certain kinds of relationships that weren't that healthy. Because what, no matter what, if you have to lose your father, mother, aunt, aunt uncle, brother, friend, you've got to break through into Christ. If you don't have Christ, you've got nothing. So, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us we cannot partake of Christ and demons. 2 Corinthians 4, 2 talks about those who've renounced the things hidden, which the word hidden is the word for the occult. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 4 through 6 talks about God visiting the sins and iniquities of the fathers on the children, but that's specifically for false worship. That thing about generational curses doesn't apply to, to every single thing. It applies to all kinds of idolatry. And performance-based Christianity and cessationist Christianity and so forth can be enough of a mixture that God's really might be active in some people's lives and so forth. And on the other hand, uh, there might be also demonic influences. You've got, you know, there are people that... Now, the, the number of people who could help you figure that out in this church is a little less than some of the other subjects, but you need to figure that out. Fourthly is bitterness and unforgiveness. John had a great message that you could listen to on the podcast called Forgiveness, Prerequisite for Discipleship. I also have one under uh, Making Disciples teachings last year on true and false forgiveness because what goes in the name of forgiveness in our culture is mostly humanistic forgiveness. And uh, you need to make sure you understand what biblical forgiveness is. I wish I could develop more than that, but I'm way over my time. So there's a book resource, Total Forgiveness Experience. I would recommend that over Total Forgiveness Solution, which is their sequels of each other. But the experience book is more of a study guide that you can fill out and work on and work your way through to make sure you've received God's forgiveness, you've forgiven yourself, you've forgiven 
everybody in your life that you have bitterness to. And when, when we prayed for Stephen to get baptized in the Spirit, we had to do that before he got baptized in the Spirit because he was too demonic to, uh, to have a breakthrough. Most people can get baptized in the Spirit and get delivered from their unforgiveness and things later, as Beth will tell you that she did in a little bit. But sometimes there's enough demonic activity that you can't just get a breakthrough in the Spirit until you get the deliverance first. And unforgiveness and bitterness is, will keep you for forgiveness. If you don't forgive your fellow servant, you will be handed over to the tormentors. And that will manifest itself in physical sicknesses, in um, uh, mental issues, and, and emotional problems, and all kind of things. Addictions, and so forth. You know, I dealt with a, a family some years ago. None of you know them. They don't go to our church, but I was at the funeral, and, and I was a pallbearer. And after I put the casket in the car, one of the relatives took me aside and said, can we talk? And I, we went into a garden and sat and talked, and they proceeded to explain to me how this relative had been sexually molesting all the kids in the family for years. And interestingly, all the kids had grown up to be obese. And the truth is, when you have, when you have hurts and unforgivenesses, God is not mad at you about them, but he wants to get to the roots of these things and set you free. He, he didn't, if he wanted to condemn you, he could, you had that already. He wants to set you free. But, you know, deep wounds, unforgivenesses, bitterness, these things, got, you've got to get through them and you got to get some counsel and read the right books and get some guidance how to get through them and if that's holding you back from getting baptized in the spirit get it done focus you know what i'm going to call us to in the next meeting in a minute is do focus on this if you're not baptized in the spirit yet focus a hundred percent on that don't focus on it darn anything else because jesus said it very clearly to get that done first We'll look at that in the next meeting. Lastly, the spirit of unbelief and the spirit of passivity. Big deal in our culture. Some people are very, I mean, passivity. There's all kind of Christian articles on why video, taking in too much video tends to make you passive. Surfing the net too much tends to make you passive. But we live in one of the most passive cultures and generations of all time. If you, you know, but the problem with being too laid back is that the path of least resistance makes both rivers and people crooked. You got to get mad, Howard Beale. <laughs> Network, great movie. You, you really, you, you, violent men enter the kingdom by force. And ask God to help you overcome the passivity and take aggressive, active steps. Now, I wish I could do a whole series on this, really. This is important stuff. If you're not baptized in the Spirit yet, you should hurry and get that done. And it shouldn't take very long, frankly. Um, it, there's no reason it should. shouldn't take more than a, uh, um, maybe a few weeks. It depends. But, um, all right, so I wish I could develop all these subjects more. I will tell you that we have a, a ministry team that we're going to talk about tonight. Most of the people in the ministry team are qualified to help you analyze these five things. 
But ultimately, then you got to get with God and seek God and say, are there some of these hindrances in my life? And we're going to talk at the second meeting about several testimonies of people who had hindrances like Beth and, and how they broke through. Amen.